0: Beggars can't be choosers. Fortune favors the bold. Discretion is the better part of valor. A job doing is worth doing well. Yeah, these are all sayings that I heard my father Say many times throughout my childhood and growing up years. And they're, they're modern day proverbs, which have helped shape not only my view of the world, but also my view of myself and my behavior. And it's interesting to me that God chose to put a whole book of Proverbs right in the middle of the Bible. And so, right there in the Old Testament, right after the book of prayer, Psalms, we get this book, Proverbs, uh, which helps make up the group of books that we call Wisdom Literature, and I know that many of you women who are reading through the Bible together uh, this year just read through Proverbs, which is great. It should be fresh on your mind, and I'm excited for that, Uh, but I love how Eugene Peterson describes the purpose of Wisdom Literature. This is what he says. He says, Wisdom is the art of living skillfully in whatever actual conditions we find ourselves. Wisdom has virtually nothing to do with information. A college degree is no certification of wisdom. Rather, wisdom has to do with becoming skillful in honoring our parents, raising our children, handling our money, conducting our intimate lives, going to work and exercising leadership, using words well, treating friends kindly, eating and drinking healthily. I love that. Wisdom is the art of living skillfully. And so you can kind of look at the book of Proverbs as an art book. And it's different from some of the other genres of the Bible. And we need to read Proverbs the way it was intended to be read and understood. And we need to be careful not to treat it, for instance, like law. Right? It's not written like the Ten Commandments or the book of Exodus and Leviticus. Uh, Instead, it tends to tell us—it tells us what tends to be true in the world. And there's a verse in Proverbs that really proves my point here. And that is in Proverbs 26, we read, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Okay, so if that were a law, that would mean that we could never answer a fool when he speaks foolishly. But then the very next verse— Proverbs 26 says, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. So you say, wait, which is it? Should we answer a fool according to his folly, or should we not answer him? And the answer is, it depends on the situation, which requires what? Wisdom. Wisdom. Now, we need to also be careful not to treat the Proverbs as promises either. One of the most well-known Proverbs is in uh, chapter 22, and it says, Train up a child in the way that he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, some people have taken that as a promise, an ironclad promise that if you raise your children the right way, if you train them the way that they should go, you teach them the faith, teach them to be obedient, then they will, in fact, Do that, and they will not depart from it. Now, anybody who's not been living in the woods by themselves for your whole life has seen parents, Christian parents, who have raised their children well, who have taught them the way, who have trained them in the faith, and yet seen their children depart from it. Again, Proverbs tells us what tends to be true. If you work hard... You'll prosper. If you're evil, you will come to ruin. Unfortunately, since we live in a fallen world, the world does not always work the way that it should, or the way that we expect it, or even the way that God designed it to work. And all you need to do to bear that out is to read the book of Ecclesiastes, where Solomon says, Yeah, it's all vanity. This is the same Solomon who who wrote most of Proverbs and gets to Ecclesiastes. It's all vanity. Nothing makes much sense. Nothing works quite right. Nothing really makes me happy. But before Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes, he wrote much of Proverbs. So let's listen as God, through Solomon, invites us to get wisdom. If you are able, please stand. We're going to read parts A section from chapter 2 and then a section from chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 2. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver, search for it as hidden treasures. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and walking, watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. And then from Proverbs 8, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord Is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech, I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles, all who govern justly. I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. This is God's word for God's people and for the good of the world. Please be seated. most basic teaching of the book of Proverbs is that you need wisdom to live. Now, one of the first things you recognize when you read the book of Proverbs is that it is written from the perspective of a parent to a child. It starts almost right away. Chapter 1, verse 5. It says, Hear, my son, your father's instructions. And then, interestingly, chapters 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7 all begin with the very first words are either my son or hear o sons which tells us that none of us is born naturally wise we all have to be taught how to become wise my daughter Uh, does campus ministry, college ministry in California and with RUF, Reform University Fellowship. And one one of her students is a young man who grew up without a father. And he recently told Madeline that his favorite book in the Bible is the book of Proverbs because he recognizes that he needs help in learning how to live wisely. And when he reads the book of Proverbs, he can imagine a father speaking to him. And uh, a father who cares about him and can show him the way of wisdom. The most formative relationship for any of us when we're children is our parents. Uh, We learn the most from them, both for good and for bad. And I'm going to be teaching a, a series on parenting this fall on Wednesday nights. And one of, the, one of the points I'm going to be making is that your primary job as a parent is not to raise successful, financially secure kids. Your primary job as a parent is to raise wise, godly kids. Because we need money to live but just having money doesn't make for a good life. There are a lot of people who are wealthy and successful who are miserable and living foolishly. Wisdom is much more important to have for a good life. As the last verse we read, we read in chapter 8 says, My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. Not only is wisdom important and valuable, it's actually something. That can save your life. You see, Proverbs, it gives, it's full of glimpses into different people's lives. And the question it asks of every behavioral choice that it records is is this wisdom or is this folly, foolishness? And that's reasonable, right? Looking at life through the lens of this is this person acting wisely? Or foolishly. But then, if you read a little deeper, you begin to realize that Proverbs is also saying that these behavioral choices, they are not just one-time events of wisdom or foolishness. They actually, wisdom and folly are roads that are being traveled, that are leading to a destination. And the end result is either life or death. In other words, Proverbs isn't saying, don't do foolish things because, you know, it'll make your life hard for a while until you can sort of rectify it. No, it's saying, don't be a fool because the way of a fool leads to death, it leads to eternal separation from wisdom, and the way of wisdom leads to life. In the words of paraphrase I've read from Shawshank Redemption Get busy living with wisdom or get busy dying with folly. Now, many scholars have pointed out how the book of Proverbs is very similar to a lot of ancient wisdom writing, such as the the teaching of Pahotep from ancient Egypt or the writings of Plato and Aristotle in ancient Greece or even the, the writings of Confucius in China. The Bible itself talks about the wise men of Egypt and talks about how Daniel excelled all the wise men of Babylon. In other words, wisdom is not just for believers in the one true God. Anyone can be wise to a point. Anyone can be wise to a point. Much of the Proverbs are what we call common grace insights. We got that next point. Anyone can be wise. There. There it's coming. Common grace insights. What is common grace? Extremely important idea. And it's the basic idea that this all truth is God's truth, no matter where it's found. Okay? Which means that we can learn truth, learn true things in a lot of different places. You can learn to do math from a textbook written by a Christian or a non Christian. If it is true truth, it is ultimately from God, and we can learn from it. And so we find here, interestingly, wise sayings that borrow and interact with the wise sayings of other cultures. And that's okay, right? Not all the Bible is completely unique. And so we read things like in Proverbs 10, just a few examples. A wise son makes a glad mother, a father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. That's true in any culture. You don't have to believe in God to know that the behavior of children makes their father and mother happy or glad. Proverbs 11, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. Again, wise people have known the virtue of humility in every age and every culture. Proverbs 12, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. You don't have to be a Christian to know that discipline is good for you. In fact, these all kind of sound like something you could read on a fortune cookie. And certainly you could read in a lot of other wisdom literature. The invitation to be wise is is laid out like a dinner uh, that is inviting you to it. All may come and learn wisdom and reap from its benefits. But the invitation to be a fool is also shown to be something that anyone can accept. And guess what? It's a lot easier to be a fool. In fact, you don't even really have to do much. Be lazy, forsake wisdom, and you are pretty much right there. But being wise takes work. And there are many people in the world who have done the work of becoming wise, and we can learn from them, even though they may not uh, no God. One, one example is the writer David Foster Wallace, who did not, to my knowledge, claim to be a Christian, but who wrote and spoke very compellingly about uh, idols and how we uh, worship different idols to our detriment. And uh, in fact, his commencement speech at Kenyon College is one of the best that I have ever read. However, there is a limit to how much knowledge a person can have apart from knowing God. Just as there's a limit to how much you can know about God by studying creation. The Bible says that anyone can look at the created world and know some things about God. We can look at the world, we can see great beauty and sort of understand that there is a beautiful mind behind the world. Anyone can look at the order and intelligence of nature and creation and see that there must be an intelligent designer. But there are certain things that you cannot know just from looking at creation. Right? You will never be able to arrive at the doctrine of the Trinity, that God, the Creator, is both three and one. Right? You will never be able to understand the atonement of Jesus through looking at nature. Those things have to be revealed to you. And so my last point today is this. True wisdom requires God's insight and indwelling. True wisdom requires God's insight and indwelling. Now, the unofficial main theme of Proverbs is this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In other words, you have to have encountered God and held him in awe and submitted your life to him to be truly wise, at least to begin the process. And in Proverbs 2.6, which we read, it says, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Wisdom has its source in God. If you want to be truly wise, you have to go to the source. A number of years ago, my wife and I uh, took a trip to New York City, and we, we were walking around Central Park, and I began to hear uh, some music, which sounded like some notes from a guitar, and it was kind of faint, and so I started walking towards it, and started getting a little louder, and I could tell it was some classical guitar. And, and my wife knows that I, I love street musicians. I'm a sucker, and I always have to stop, especially if it's classical guitar. And so I said, you know, can we go? Of course, of course. So we, we walk, and as we get closer, I can hear. And I, be, I begin to recognize. It's a piece by Francisco Targa. And as we round the bend, we see a classical guitarist there playing. And we stood and watched for maybe 15 or 20 minutes. Fantastic musician. I would have paid 40 or $50 dollars at a concert hall to see him. That's the thing about wisdom. You can benefit from it at a distance, but until you really get face-to-face with it, you won't really experience it fully. Now, the interesting thing about the book of Proverbs is that it often speaks about wisdom in the third person, right? Get wisdom. Make your ear attentive to wisdom. But sometimes... It speaks of wisdom in the first person. In fact, that's what we see throughout chapter 8. It says, I, wisdom, love those who love me. Those who seek me diligently find me. Who does that sound like? That sounds like God. It's like God and what he says in Jeremiah 29 when he says, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. See, wisdom is not just a thing. Wisdom is a person that you can know. In fact, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 1 says that we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, folly to Gentiles, but to those who are being called Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Notice he doesn't say that Christ has wisdom from God. Or he doesn't say that Christ is the main teacher of the wisdom of God. He says that Christ is the wisdom of God. If you want to have wisdom, you have to have Jesus Christ. Jesus himself tells us that. He's sitting in the upper room with his disciples. The rabbi celebrating the Passover with his pupils. And he says this, Makes his promise. He says, My father's house are many rooms. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, will take you to myself, that where you may, where I am, you may be also. And then one of his disciples, Thomas, says, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? See, Thomas here is he he's using wisdom language. As Tim Keller says, Thomas was looking for the example. The way, the path of behavior to follow. And this is, by the way, what every other religion ultimately offers. It offers a path to follow, a good, wise, moral example to emulate. But Jesus offers more than that. Because what is, how does he answer Thomas? He says this, he says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, Jesus doesn't just give you a path to walk. He gives you himself. For he is wisdom. And believing and trusting in the gospel of his life, death, resurrection, and ascension is the way of wisdom. It's the way of wisdom. Which then helps us understand Proverbs 8 a lot better, doesn't it? Because when you understand that, we understand that it's really all about Jesus. When you read Proverbs and you see that first person, I, wisdom, think, that's Jesus talking. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, verse 12. Verse 15, by me kings reign, by me princes rule. And then verse 17 again, I love those who love me. And those who seek me diligently find me. And then the whole second half of chapter 8, which we did not read, is all about how wisdom was present in creation and uh, rejoicing in the creation that God had made. And of course, Jesus, the Son of God, was also present in creation and even active in creating the world. Jesus says, I love those who love me. My question for you this morning is, Do you love Jesus? And if you do, you have a chance at being wise. Conversely, if you don't love Jesus, you will never truly be wise. Because the wisdom of God and His plan to save the world through the gospel of Jesus will always be hidden from you. See, worldly wisdom can tell you how to live a good life, but it cannot tell you how to get eternal life. Worldly wisdom can give you good behavior, can teach you how to do things right, but it cannot die for your sins. Worldly wisdom can tell you that the world is broken, but it does not know how God is planning to put it back together and how he is going to make all things new. Only Jesus can tell you that. Only he can reveal those things to you and make you wise in it. Look to Jesus Look to Jesus' mercy and wisdom flow through him alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have created us with the capacity to do good and to do evil. And uh, we... Every day, in fact, every hour, we have those choices of how to act. And we pray, Father, that you would so fill us with your spirit, the spirit of Jesus, um, that we would be able to discern the way of wisdom, and that as we come to know you more, we might be able to come to learn the way of truth and the way to life. Father, help us also to be bold enough to share that way with others. To be bold enough to uh, say no to the world's wisdom, which is in contradiction to your truth. And to follow you, no matter how hard that is. Pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior.